Many of you know I spent this past week in LaRue, Ohio. Be very difficult for you to find on a map. It's a little map dot. And I was invited there, I guess it was probably a year ago, by Tim Pasma, Calvin's father, who is the pastor of LaRue Baptist Church. And some of my friends sitting in the back row or near the back row will appreciate this moment while I was there. Uh, I went to an event with some elderly folks and was introduced by one woman, and she introduced me as the Baptist minister from North Carolina. <laughs> and she said, that's right, isn't it? You know, it's just too complicated, you know. Well, it's non-denominational, it's kind of Presbyterian. You know, I was like, yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> I knew some of my friends here would be like, yeah. Um, and there were many things to be impressed with by this small church in Ohio, um, made up of people who all pretty much grew up within 50 mile, 50 mile radius. I, I, I don't know that I met anybody who wasn't from some surrounding town. They mostly were hardworking farmer type folks, laborers. They mostly looked the same. They, their children married each other's children largely. And one of the things I was really impressed with was how invested they had become into reaching out into a neighboring community called Marion that has a significant heroin problem. And apparently the drugs coming down from the Detroit area um, somehow have managed to stop in Marion. And they have a significant population of heroin addicts there. And there's a gentleman there who's working with them, a doctor. And part of the rehab is to tell the folks they have to go to church. And I don't even remember now the connection, but there was a connection back to LaRue. And so as I preached there last Sunday, there was a whole row in the back of heroin addicts. Some who were there for the very first time, some who had uh, come clean, some who had come clean and and become a Christian. And I just thought, you know, it, it didn't, the people in LaRue didn't have to travel far to enter into some of the darkest and desperate, most desperate places in the world by just entering into the community in which they were around, and they were part of filling the Great Commission. One of the gentlemen was part of the church, uh, who I think had come out of some addiction himself, was then trying to reinvest into some of the folks that were coming to the church. This guy's name was Charlie, right? And uh, Charlie would go to these uh, meetings and then they would break up into smaller groups and then he would lead this smaller group, maybe a dozen folks or so. And uh, then those folks would come to the church and he wasn't really sure what to lead them through, but he decided, well, I'll just lead them through the gospel of John. And he had just started it. And a year ago or so when Calvin's dad was here, I was preaching through the gospel of John. And he said, hey, when you come up to this conference, why don't you just teach our church about the gospel of John and how to take a non-Christian through the gospel of John and help them see Christ? Amazing. 
So here I am. I'm, I'm teaching about the gospel of John and Charlie is just furiously writing notes, you know, he's like, this is so awesome because I'm, I'm taking my friends through the gospel of John. And, and I remember he came after one of the services one evening and just, he said, I cannot believe the way God has orchestrated this. That a year ago you'd be preaching on it and Tim would ask you and he, God would know that there would be an intersection. There would be a divine intersection for you to be in Little LaRue, Ohio, because I would be teaching heroin addicts how to go through the Gospel of John. So it was amazing. It really was an incredible uh, thing. And sometimes you get to see those things and, and sometimes you don't. But this past week was one of those places where you got to see how God was putting things together in really a, a remarkable way. Well, when, when you have a missions emphasis like we have here for the month, no doubt you hear the verse that most people think of with missions, and that's Matthew 28, the, the Great Commission, as it's called. And Jesus is telling his disciples to go into all nations and baptizing them in, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to teach them everything that I have commanded you. But I want this morning to take us back 700 years. This is Isaiah. Back to uh, a prior Great Commission. And let you see the heart of God for all nations. Not It didn't just somehow begin and... In Matthew, and in fact, it didn't even just begin in Isaiah, but we see it so clearly here. So we want to have our Bibles open to Isaiah chapter 55. It might be helpful to have some background here in Isaiah. Isaiah sometimes is, is the book of Isaiah is sometimes referred to as the miniature Bible. There are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. There are 66 books in the Bible. The book of Isaiah is split into two, one through 39 and then 40 through 66. It's exactly how the Bible is split up. There's 39 Old Testament books and 27 New Testament books. Isaiah chapter 1 opens with this. Chapter 1, verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. This is the beginning of Isaiah. The Lord has spoken, and this is what he says. I have reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. What does that sound like? Genesis. I'm, I'm speaking to my creation that I've just I've just made. And I want you to understand something that incredible right at the beginning has happened. And that is these children that I have reared, they have rebelled against me. And then in chapter 40, as if they're turning a page in from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the older part of Isaiah 1 through 39 to to this turning into chapter 40. Here's what it says, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the wilderness, a highway for God. And of course, we know who quotes that in the New Testament. That's John the Baptist. He's quoting right out of Isaiah 40. And he's saying, yes, make straight. Here comes Christ. Isaiah 53, then this is the chapter probably most people are familiar with in terms of uh, connection to Christ. Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our, infirm our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, punished. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. 
We all like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong. And so we can clearly see here in Isaiah 53, the the substitutionary death and atonement and resurrection of of Christ. And then in Isaiah 54, verses two and three, we see that after you, you see that somebody's been that, that something's gone wrong. And then somebody's calling ahead, saying the answer is coming and the answer comes in Isaiah 53. And you see the great. Glory of the Lord and the substitutionary atonement and that he's going to send somebody that's going to stand in our place. And once you see that in verse two and three of Isaiah 54, God says, enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your inhabitations be stretched out. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nation's. You see, something has happened. God has moved in a mighty way. And and once you've had your wounds healed, he's saying, don't shrink back. In fact, pick up the the stakes of your tent and and stretch them out further. Go as far away from the right to the left, as far as the east is to the west, all, all corners. Try to get your tent around all nations Every people group without scriptures, every life addicted to heroin, every neighboring community, even if it's populated by people not like you. There's there's an expanding, ever expanding trajectory of the gospel back in Isaiah chapter 54. And then we come here and I would just want to move through the text to our main text, Isaiah 55 when when you move in, when you expand, when you're enlarging, when you spread about or spread uh, about abroad to every nation, there's this great invitation. And you see it here just in the very beginning. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. Even if you have no money, come and buy and and eat and come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. And the invitation is for everybody who's thirsty and poor. You remember John chapter 4, the woman at the well. She had this thirst. And Jesus says, well, I can come and quench that thirst. You've been trying to quench that thirst by these relationships you've had with these men. But I've come and I'm, I'm really your real husband. And in me you will find a, a, a refreshment of your soul. You remember in Mark chapter 5, the, the bleeding woman. Remember her? She, she'd been bleeding and she'd spent all she had. She'd spent all the money on doctors on, on trying to get this solution. And instead of getting better, she grew worse and so the invitation is being laid out to to the thirsty and the poor the people who who have gotten to the end of the rope tied a knot and they've also slipped off the knot they just they're just at the end they don't have any money they have nothing to offer this invitation is for those kinds of people who are at the very end and even past the end and then notice in verse two it's also an invitation to those who mistakenly believe that their satisfaction is just around the corner. And maybe that's somebody here this morning. See, you're spending your money for that which is not bread, and, and you're working for that which does not satisfy. 
Listen diligently to me. See, see, you, you think you're not at the, at the thirsty and poor level yet. You're at the level that you think, oh, if I could just get, and it seems like it's just around the corner, like it's just possible if you could just make 10% more in your salary next year, if you could just get over that last hurdle in that class, if you could just get through this semester, if, you, if something could just break your way, then you would finally have life by the tail. And, and Isaiah is saying, that's a lie. That's a lie, and I'm calling you, you people who are investing your money and investing your time, thinking that's going to come back to you. It's not. Come, come delight yourself in the richest affair. And so whether you're here and you've slipped off the bottom of the rope, or whether you're here and you're thinking, I'm just at the top of the rope, you see that the tent is being enlarged for everyone here, no matter where you may find yourself. And what do you receive? Look at the three liquids that he uses in his illustration. You receive water. You receive this refreshment for your soul, John chapter 4. You receive milk, which is a nourishment for your strength. And then you receive wine for joy. When you come, you're getting refreshed. You're getting nourished. And you're getting nourished for a purpose, for joy. You remember... John chapter 2, the first miracle that Jesus did. You remember that? Jesus is at a wedding at Cana of Galilee. And the wedding's going to run out before the wine runs out. And Jesus' mother, Mary, comes in. And she thinks Jesus can offer some kind of help. But I don't know if you do this, but she doesn't ask a question. She just walks up and makes a statement. You ever done this? You really want somebody to do something, but you don't want to ask. So you just walk around making statements, hoping they'll pick up the clues. And so Mary just sort of wanders in and says, wow, we're out of wine. She's just making a statement and Jesus turns water into wine. It's, it's a way of saying that, that when, when God breaks into the world in this first miracle, as Jesus really begins to reveal who, is, who he is, it, it's going to be a time for wine. It's going to be a, a time for joy. And we know that from many passages, but Joel chapter 3, in that day when the day, when the Lord, the day of the Lord comes, the mountains will drip with new wine. And Jesus' first miracle is, is turning water into wine, to pr- producing 150 gallons of wine in order to keep a party, go, a party going. And I wonder if that's the image you have of Jesus. That he has come to keep a party going. And to say, I know there's going to be some dark days, but I have broken into this world and, and I am headed to joy. I'm headed for a party. Who wants to join me in this party? Or is your view of Jesus, he's really come to close down parties. And because that's your view, that's the view you project to other people. Oh, yeah, well, you shouldn't do that. And you ain't going to close that down. Yeah. Everything's just narrowing down. But see, Jesus is coming saying, I'm blowing it up. I'm, I'm trying to expand every horizon. I'm trying to say, it doesn't matter if you're poor and thirsty and you have nothing to give. It doesn't matter if you think life's just around the corner. I'm expanding my tents to every nation. And I'm calling everyone to come to say, I'm headed for joy. Do you want to get on that train with me? That's the great invitation that Isaiah is talking about. And we see it when Jesus comes in his very first miracle. 
And then in verse 5, you see the missionary purposes or the missionary movement of God. Look at, look at the verse. You shall call a nation you do not know. See, see when you're called, and Doug did such a great job. You know, when you're called, you're saying, I'm a sinner and I need help. And you're basically calling all forces to yourself. Please help me. But then as you grow, you start saying, okay, God wants to use me in some way that's just outside of my own salvation. And, of course, it can be all kinds of different ways. But here, Isaiah is saying it's going to be for nations. It's going to be for, in other words, it's going to be for people outside of your little circle. It's going to be people you don't know. It may be outside of your comfort zone. It may be outside of your ethnic zone. It it might be in step into places or countries or lives of people you don't know, but the call is to go, like Matthew 28. And then I love what God promises here in the same verse. The God who has people in every tribe and tongue and nation, a nation that did not know you will, what does it say? Will run to you. See, in verse 11, God's word is going to go out and it will accomplish its purpose. And so what Doug is doing, he's 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 writing a word and it's going to go out to we pray 400,000 people and it will accomplish a a purpose. And he's stepping into a place that the people he doesn't know them and they don't know him. But when he comes, when the word of God comes Some people, because God is calling, are going to hear that message and they're going to be coming and they're going to be running to him. And and the number of of situations, the the number of um, missionary stories you could tell would be without number of that happening. But instead of looking back and thinking about what has happened, I I thought about a letter that I received that Mark Hurt mentioned a couple of weeks ago in the missions moment. I have a friend who's now moving to the western part of China. And when you get into China, most of the missionary movement has been sort of on the east coast. Everybody sort of travels across the ocean, as you might imagine, and lands on the east coast. There's a lot more Christian population, although it's still very small, in the on the barriers of China. But as you move inland, it's a lot more rural and a lot more difficult to move into those places. And so he said, he said, Paul, I'm now on the western edge of China. And now I'm looking at these cities that are in this area, this general ge- geographic area, very large. And we have a top 24 in our sort of geographical district, 24 cities that we're hoping to target in some way. And, and maybe your church could partner along and so I just began to look at the stats and they're really overwhelming I just want to share one with you I think the name of the city is is Zhao Tong the population is 880,000 so this is maybe roughly the size of Charlotte and as far as whoever put this together this chart there's 20 known Christians 880,000 people get up in this city and there's 20 known Christians. And God is saying in Isaiah, if you would just go 
And you would walk into those places to, to people you don't know, and you would lay down the Word of God, and you would lay down your lives for God. People that God has called, He has, He knows them, He, He knows them by name. Some of those people, and it may take a long time, and it may happen some after you, they'll come running for the gospel. They'll come running because they've heard their Heavenly Father say their name, and they're going to respond. And when you hear that, it can have multiple effects on your life. Maybe cause you to go, maybe cause you to pray, maybe cause you to give. I mean, it can have lots of effects. One of the effects should be, and has been for me, a lot less um, anxious or complaining or negative spirit about my own church. I mean, the coffee wasn't that hot. I mean, I guess it doesn't matter, does it? I mean, they, ran, they always run out of my favorite donuts by the time I get back there. I mean, the things that you might complain about here when you hear there's only 20 known Christians and in 900,000 people, then, then your little issue or my little issue, it does begin to take on a different kind of size, does it not? Because you lift your head up off the things of yourself and you see the things of God and you get a totally different perspective, hopefully a a clear perspective. Let's keep moving forward. Notice the urgency of the task, verse 9 through 6 through 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call Call upon him while he is near. There's a window of opportunity. You don't know when the window will be shut. But today, the window is open. The doors, like a double-wided door, are wide open saying, if you're thirsty and poor and you have nothing to give, if if you've been living your life thinking just this one more thing, but I'm now 50, still waiting for the one more thing to happen, come, today's the day. The door is open for salvation. And notice in verse 7, God, the, the God that you come to, the God that we come to this morning with communion is a good God. And he will not punish but abundantly pardon. See, when you come to God, when you communicate to your friends about coming to God, you want to communicate you're coming to somebody who delights in pardoning. He just cannot Wait to pardon. And not just pardon, but notice Isaiah put in there, abundantly pardon. I need abundantly pardoning. I don't need just some pardoning. No, I need a lot of pardoning. I I need to come to somebody who can abundantly pardon. And and Isaiah is saying, this, this God is able to abundantly pardon your sin. And if you've ever believed, and maybe some of you are sitting there now thinking... Well, I'm, I'm just, I'm too messed up. I'm, I'm too sinful. I'm, I'm too far gone. See, that's a lie. It's a, a barrier Satan would want to throw in your way to say, don't, don't come. You're not, he's not talking to your type. You're too far gone. See, because when we start thinking what we think is reasonable, what does he say? Hey, those thoughts, those aren't God thoughts. When you start going your way and you're thinking this is the right way, then those ways, those aren't your ways. 
Verse 9, if we're left to ourselves, if we're left to our own thoughts, we're never going to understand what God's thoughts are. But fortunately, you know how fortunate for us, we're not stuck in our own thoughts because of verse 10 and 11. Like rain or snow coming down from heaven, God didn't leave us stranded. But the word of God came, it came pouring down like rain on the earth. It it was uh, some distance away and God saw that if we were just stuck here by ourselves, there was no hope. So he sent his word down from heaven. And what is that word? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. See, God sent Himself down in the Word of Jesus Christ to say, I'm here to rescue you. I'm here to bring you home. I know there's no way you can come to me, so I'm coming to you. And we know that when the word comes down, it will accomplish its purpose. Jesus says this in John 6. I've come down from heaven like rain. Not to do my will, but to do the will of him who has sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me. So when you walk into a city with 900,000 people with 20 Christians and you begin to translate the gospel or you begin to communicate the gospel, he begins to call people by name and they will come. So as a church or as an individual, you must refuse to, to shrink back, to say, well, I've got my salvation and just it's just about you. But to enlarge your tents, to stretch out to the right and to the left, to, to move into every place. And I, most of you are probably aware just in the last month we've been sending some vans down to Royal Palms. And so we send these vans down through the, the neighborhood down there. And we've done some different things with the kids that are down there. But 15, 20, I don't know how many were here this morning. How many were here this morning, David? 15, 15, 20 kids get on the, the vans, largely don't know anything about church. They're usually either black or Hispanic. Some of them don't speak English that well. And so they come and they come to Sunday school and we're trying to figure out how can we, how can we mix them up in the body? How can we, can, how can we get them involved? How can we be a part of reaching out to that community? And so we're trying to enlarge our tents, but we don't have the answer to every question that comes up about that issue. It's going to cause some, some movement. It's going to cause something in us to say, okay, in order for that to happen, I've got to now stop thinking so much about myself and start thinking about somebody else. God's, God's word will go out. It will have its divine and inspired effect. One of the gentlemen I met in LaRue, pretty sure his name was Greg, one of the elders there. Really, one of these guys that always had a smile on his face. I mean, just the nicest guy. And uh, he came into me, he came to me and, and he said, you know, I said, well, how did you get to LaRue Baptist Church? And he said, well, you know, I live down the street from the pastor. And uh, he would call or he'd come by. His wife makes these awesome cinnamon rolls and she'd bake some and send the pastor down to try to, you know, 
get into a conversation. And, and I, was, I was running hard. I was running a business. And I was really into liquor and beer. And I just kept stiff-arming, you know, every kind of advance. I just was, I'm too busy. I'm, I'm the person who just thinks just around the corner something's going to arrive, and I'm going to arrive, and I'm going to be fulfilled. But he wasn't fulfilled. And then one Sunday, out of the blue, Greg calls the pastor, Tim, and he says, Hey, what time are your church services today? And, and I remember talking to Tim about this because I, I had heard the story from Greg. And, and then Tim said, I remember the day he called me. I couldn't remember what time the services were. I was so surprised. I, I went, today? I mean, I just don't remember what time today. I had to ask his wife, I think, to say, well, honey, what time do we start our services? And when Greg arrived... Tim was preaching from Isaiah 59, and this is what Greg heard. You hope for light, but you behold darkness. You hope for brightness, but you walk in gloom. You grope for a wall like a blind man, but you grope like those who have no eyes. You stumble at noon as if it's midnight. And Greg leaned over to his wife and said, that's me. That's me. He's talking about me. He's talking to me. And thankfully, that morning, Tim shared Isaiah 59.1. Surely, some of you know this, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. And Greg walked out a different person. And now he's an elder at the church. It's incredible. Incredible. God's purposes will not fail. And understanding that should be like a booster rocket out of this door. Because it's really not up to you. It's God's purposes. And so that just straps booster rockets to your back saying, it will not fail. I may fail. I will fail. But God's purposes are never going to fail. And so it gives us great encouragement. Finally, verses 12 and 13, we see the purpose of the missionary movement of God. Transformation, which leads to worship. Look at verse 13. Instead of of the thorn, rain has come down, snow has come down, and it's come down to the ground. And instead of the thorn coming up, you get a cypress tree. Instead of a briar, you get a myrtle tree. David Tripp writes this about this passage. If you have a little thorn bush or a briar bush in your backyard and you nourish it with rain, what do you expect to get? Obviously, you expect to get a bigger thorn or briar bush. But not so with the word of God. When the word of God rains down on the thorn bush, it actually becomes something organically different. The picture here is fundamental, specific, and personal transformation. Lusting people become pure. Fearful people become courageous. Demanding people become servants. Complainers become thankful. The ultimate purpose of the word of God is not theological information, but heart transformation. And when this transformation occurs, verse 12, you shall go out in joy. Break forth into singing. Clap your hands. That's, that's why I want us, to, want us to celebrate what happened here this morning. Something of eternal significance happened in the lives of these young men. And we want to be the, the, the group. We've got to be the group that says... Yes! I mean, if you can say yes when your team 
scores a touchdown or scores the game-winning basket. I mean, here it is. Here's the eternal buzzer beater. And God has come down, and right when it looked all was lost, he came down and he grabbed up his people for a great victory. And when those people realize it, yes, it's the most incredible thing you could ever witness. He's, he's headed for joy. And now your, your object is off of yourself. The object of your view is off of the world. It's now onto Christ. And because God is eternally beautiful, the appetite that you always have always is filled. You never gain it like you would a car or a, a check or something. And say, oh, that's it. And then a week later, that's not, that, that wasn't it. He always is filling. And so one of the reasons that we have communion is because you forget. You, you go astray. You, you reach out for the other things in the world and think, oh, yes, Christ, but I've got to also have that. And this morning, I'm asking you to, to come back and remember, this is, this, is, this is it. This isn't the beginning and then an attachment. This is the beginning and the end of your satisfaction of your soul. If you're here and you don't know Christ, I would ask you not to come forward. 